Anyone for an oatmeal muffin? I think I'll pass. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from rainy, rainy England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your mango kefir? Please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat it's that time of year to have a merry and manly christmas to take part in the contest to get your tickets and get the chance to win one of over five thousand dollars worth of prizes go to crusadechannel.com forward slash merry listen out for the soundbite and call in. As you may have gathered from the sound of my voice, COVID has come to call ho, 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 hooray. But do you know something? It's all right so far. So far, I'm on my feet. I'm sitting at the microphone. I'm just a tiny bit out of breath. But it's oatmeal muffin day. Um, I'm quite fond of oats. I like oat flips, I like porridge, I like flapjacks, and I quite like muffins, but I'm not sure I have ever had them together. Does anyone have any experience of this phenomenon, oatmeal muffins? Can somebody give me a verdict? Are these things actually worth eating? I have had some pretty bizarre muffins in my lifetime, so I don't want to waste time assaulting my taste buds with something that's really not worth the bother. Anyone got any strong feelings, please, about oatmeal muffins? Sorry to start the day on a bit of a downer, but there has been another ice hockey death. Would you believe that? You know, we're still reeling here in Britain from the death of the American ice hockey player whose neck was slashed during a game. The player who did it, you remember, it was initially described as a freak accident, but the player who caused the death has since been arrested on charges of manslaughter. And there have been all sorts of calls to make the sport safer, to have compulsory neck guards. That's coming in next year, certainly, and British ice skating probably all over the world. But on the, you know, n- not no sooner are we really getting over this particular death, when there has been another death in Canada, and this time it's an eleven-year-old boy. Now, in the case of this death, in it was in Quebec. Um, he was in the middle of a training session. It wasn't a match; it was a training session, and he was struck in the neck with a puck. And it didn't even occur to me that that could be that dangerous, but I'm guessing they're sort of small and quite compact. Um, and I'm guessing if they, they hit a sensitive part of the body at speed, it would potentially be very, very dangerous. And there is no suggestion here that there was any foul play. It's not like the other case. But he he died and, you know, an 11-year-old boy. It's, it's just, it's inconceivable that this should have happened again. Um, however... The Canadian press have said that he was wearing protective equipment, including a neck guard, but it didn't save him. Um, And I don't really know what to make of that, whether one just has to accept that it was was a devastating accident and it does sometimes happen, or whether there needs to be a rethink about the whole way that the game is structured or the way training sessions are structured. 
training sessions can be pretty chaotic on an ice rink. I, I can say that from experience, having watched hockey training sessions, but also seeing figure skating and speed skating training sessions. So um, Maggie is saying, no, you need to rethink these blades. The problem is this time it wasn't a blade. It was it was a puck. And that's what I'm finding so shocking about this, because if it had been another accident with a blade, I would have said exactly they, they need to rethink this. Yeah, exactly. A puck. Um, you know, they need to they need to rethink the whole or the whole way they're trained. You know, are they getting too close to one another? But something like this, a puck flying across at somebody. It really is a freak accident. Um, I mean, literally, I've been hit with a puck before. I was once uh, walking along rinkside and there were some boys doing some off ice training. And one of them whacked this thing and it hit me right on the side of the foot. It was really painful. It does hit you quite hard. And because of the, the design of the thing, the way it's, um, what would you even describe that as? What shape is that? Somebody help me. So it's like a, a, a contracted, a, a concentrated cylinder. Um it, it hit a particularly sensitive part of you know, the soft part of the side of my foot. And yes, it was really painful. I could imagine that doing some serious harm if it hit your neck. But I had no idea it was possible to die that way. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm absolutely at a loss. I think just because it's come so soon after the other death, it's just disc. It's a disc, isn't it? Yes. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's a disc. Um uh, the King Dude is saying a hockey puck is a solid piece of moulded rubber. It looks like a hostess ding dong treat. What does that mean? I feel. Do you know? Sometimes King Dude, when you give me things to read out, I wonder whether you're just having a laugh. Um, oh, oh, the King Dude is showing off his French. Bonjour mes amis. Bonjour Monsieur King Dude. Nineteenth um, December. The O antiphon is O radix Jesse or root of Jesse. By the way, the M for Michaud, Mehui, Francais. Okay. Um, King Dude, what? Sadly, it's not quite as soft as that, but it is that shape. Yes, okay, it's the same shape as this this biscuit, chocolate-covered biscuit thing. Um, no, I'm, I'm just... I'm just overwhelmed. You know, he was very well protected. He had the right equipment on. It doesn't say if it was fitted correctly. Who knows? Maybe it had slipped a bit. But I'm guessing a neck guard probably wouldn't offer a lot of help um, if you were hit by a, a heavy object. And maybe it, maybe it was just a freak accident. I just I feel my heart breaks for his family. I just don't think I don't think the sport can take much more of this. But I'm I think a lot of families are going to be very very nervous about letting their children play a sport where we've had two fatalities in the space of what six weeks. Um, so again, I don't know quite how a puck ended up quite that high off the ice. But Philip is saying sports are dangerous. You can't prevent all death and injury. You do what you can to mitigate risk, but risk is what makes sport interesting. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you, Philip. That's why I'm, I'm sort of really hesitating about the right angle even for this story. I'm just sort of telling the story as is and just letting it tell itself because that is absolutely true. And most sports come with some level of in, of injury risk. Uh, rugby is notorious for you know broken necks and smashed heads and things um there are you know there are men in wheelchairs because their necks got broken because a scrum collapsed um 
it happens if you ride a horse you may fall you may break a bone you may do something more serious i witnessed a horrible accident someone coming off a, a horse when i was a child and i was riding and it, it happens skiing you know you're going at speed down a hill you know in the snow it's you know you only have to make a small misjudgment that's how liam neeson's wife died yeah it happens and yet and I think in this case, the only comfort this boy's club, his family, his community can take is that every possible attempt was made to mitigate risk. That There's no suggestion in the story that there was any foul play, that there was any negligence. And yet it's just uh, it, it's just so heartbreaking. And I think even though it was in another country, Sports communities are international. I mean, my, my daughter follows figure skaters all over the world. She has followers from other countries. It's a relatively small community. And this is this is going to take a lot of getting getting over just two deaths so soon, so close together. Um, it's, this is going to be a really tough one. So. So, yes, I, I take the point. I absolutely take the point that sports are dangerous. But maybe we could just pray for this, the repose of this boy's soul and for his family because I just, yeah, it, you know, I have an 11-year-old child. I can't imagine what they're going through. So let's remember them, please. Um, just to remind you, tomorrow I will not be doing the early show. I've swapped with the South Africans. They're going to be doing tomorrow and I will be doing Thursday because tomorrow at about this time I will be watching a dentist attacking my daughter with a pair of oversized pliers. A few prayers would not go amiss that it's a swift and painless exercise. That would be nice. Um, I'm not fond of the dentist, not, neither is my daughter now. She said, in fact... When she grows up, she will never, ever, ever go to the dentist ever again. So you heard it here. I promise the conversation will get a bit lighter in just a moment, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know I'm sure a lot of you are following what is happening in Gaza. It's all over the news. It's most of what everyone's talking about at the moment. But I don't know how many of you are following what is happening at the main Catholic church in Gaza. It may come as a surprise to discover there is a Catholic church in Gaza. There are many Palestinian Christians, including in Gaza, though um, they're tend to be bigger communities in Bethlehem and Nazareth and, and Ramallah. But there is a significant Christian community in Gaza. And at the moment, there are hundreds and hundreds of people sheltering in the Catholic Church, desperately trying to keep themselves alive. Many of them have already lost their homes in the airstrikes. And there is considerable fear for the safety of these people. We actually have an MP, a politician in this country, Leila Moran. She's uh, got family who are Palestinian Christians who are currently trapped in this church. And she's um, she she's said, and this is this has been in the press a little bit as well, they are running out of food. They do not have water now. The generator that was pumping water has been broken. The um, only source of electricity has uh, been knocked out. There are 54 disabled people sheltering in that church in Holy Family Church in Gaza. And some of them have respirators. 
uh, an elderly man has died because he could not get medical care. Uh, this is a desperate situation. Um, a janitor and a binman were shot dead uh, on the premises of the church. A mother and daughter were shot dead by two um, Israeli soldiers. One was shot, the other was um, killed then trying to help the other. And others were wounded trying to protect them. This isn't a question of collateral damage. This is not at all any suggestion anyone has in their mind that this is just an unfortunate accident and it could have happened anywhere. This is simply not the case. It is simply not the case. They were no threat to anyone. Two women, a mother and daughter, walking across the courtyard of a church. They were no threat. And they were just picked off like, like ducks on a pond. And you'll have heard about um, you'll have heard about the three hostages who were mistakenly killed. They were waving a white flag. They had SOS, the Hebrew for SOS, on their white flag. They were clearly they, they, they were they were clearly unarmed and seeking help. A soldier panicked and shot them. And the thing is, this is being talked about as if this is a very unusual incident. But can I tell you, having lived out there, that this sort of thing happens all the time. The IDF is predominantly made up of conscripted teenagers who are nervous, who are paranoid, who are inclined to shoot first and ask questions later. And the IDF always covers it up. I remember cases, I remember a man who his phone rang. An Arab man, he's walking down the street, his phone rang, he pulled his phone out of his pocket to answer the phone, and he was shot in the head. And the IDF put out a statement the next day saying, there was an exchange of fire. The soldier had to shoot him because he was under attack. Now, mobile phones are pretty nifty objects, but I have never come across one that fires bullets. I'm sorry, I can feel myself getting angry. Um, but, you know, I just... I, I'm feel so bad for what is happening to the Christian population, particularly in the West Bank. They have been through so much. They suffer so much and in silence. Most people don't even know they're there. They are surrounded by enemies. You know, the, the Christian population, that the first people to be converted to Christianity are being exterminated and exiled from lands that they have inhabited for centuries. You know, you get American evangelicals, so forgive me saying this, you get American evangelicals coming over to Jerusalem saying, hey, there are Christians here, who converted them? And they'd be like, well, uh, Jesus Christ, probably. Um, you know, we've been here quite a long time. It started here. Um, I just, I feel physically sick thinking about what's happening. And this is not going to end well. Um, and And I've got... Christian friends who are sort of saying, well, you know, people die in wars, you know, um, who are 100 percent supporting Israel and are prepared to support anything Israel does. So, well, these things happen in wars. No, 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 no. There are things like the Geneva Convention. There are international conventions about protecting civilians in time of war. The really terrible thing is that support for Hamas has skyrocketed across the West Bank and around the world. The world is a much less safe place since this offensive started. 
because it is fueling worldwide terrorism. None of us should feel safe. Um, oh, nice, nice. Nice break in the in the narrative for a moment, Denise M. Tomorrow at this time, I'll be preparing to welcome my oldest grandson, Kaysen Seven, who asked to come here while school is out so he can play with Jacob. Hooray! That is just wonderful, Denise. It is 25 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. And it's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas, to take part in the contest, to get your tickets and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. We've been talking about a second ice hockey death, this time in Canada, an 11-year-old boy. No suggestion of foul play. It does look as if it was a freak accident. And the desperate situation in Gaza facing Gaza's beleaguered Christian population. Um, good morning, Dr. Torres. King Dude has put a, an article, Israeli sniper murders two Christian women in cold blood at Holy Family Parish in Gaza. Philip is saying, I'm surprised Israel hasn't destroyed it already. The terrifying thing is, if the Israelis bomb that church, they will pretty much exterminate the Christian population of Gaza and the Muslims who are also sheltering in there. Um, it's a sit sitting target, you know, that they're, they're bombing hospitals, they're bombing schools. Um, I'm, I'm amazed they have actually left the church alone, more or less, um, just, you know, taking the odd pot shot, killing the odd innocent person from time to time for sport or something. Um, uh, Dr. Torres, what is that on your, on, in the photograph? <clears throat> Uh, Maggie is saying, oh, so fried pork steak and black eyed peas over rice with hot sauce. I want up the ding-dongs. Thank you. Let's keep ding-dongs away from the chat room today, shall we, please? Uh, <laughs> uh, Ma Maggie O'Connell is saying, here's a really good story from Brother Andre Marie about it. Israeli sniper murders two Christian women in cold blood. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't read it. Have a look. <coughs> Sorry. Excuse me one moment. Oh, dear. Right. It's Maggie saying, yay, Denise, we wonderful having both there with you. Philip saying the Palestinian population has been targeted for extermination. A really good short text. It's not it's not long at all um, to read if you're interested in sort of a Christian perspective from the country itself is Children of a Lesser God by Afif Safiya. Afif Safiya was the Palestinian delegate to the ambassador to the Holy See, and he is himself Catholic, a Palestinian Catholic. And he wrote very eloquently about the whole situation, but very much from the Christian perspective. Um, Maggie saying, you and my father would be best friends, Dr. Torres, with the ding-dongs to the food. You're very, very similar. Because Dr. Dr. Torres, love a ding-dong. My favourite hostess cake is the Susie Q, though. Um, Maggie saying, I'm not willing to support everything Israel does, especially when it's just mass death, non-discriminate death. None of us should be okay with this. Thank you. There has been a huge lack, in my opinion, of moderate conversation about this ever since it started. I have been horrified by what I have read on Facebook and other social media platforms. 
Now, I realise that everyone becomes an expert when it comes to social media, but I think for Christians, including Catholics, um, it, it's not just been evangelicals, it's also been Catholics, we need to avoid knee-jerk reactions. I mean, I have um, I have seen some incredibly hateful posts. You know, there's no such thing as an innocent Gazan, really, like 50% of the, like the, the 50% who are children, um, the overwhelming majority who never voted for Hamas, it was 17 years ago, by the way, the Christian population who are most definitely not Hamas, you know, it's, you know, there has got to be moderation and there's got to be some kind of humanitarian attitude here. This is, this is simply wrong. What is being done is simply wrong. Um, Dr. Torres saying, I love eating with people who can put it away. I would like to be remembered for never having had my appetite sated. You're one of these people, Dr. Torres, who could do these, you know, these challenges, you know, where you get a huge platter of, you know, 20 steaks or something that you have to eat in under 45 minutes. You could do it. I tell you what, maybe you could do a challenge like that for the for the radio station, you know. Sorry, one little pause. Sorry, I'm still remembering the rebuke I received from the King Dude for blowing my nose rather loudly without putting my putting my microphone on mute. I won't do that again, I promise. Um, but, you know, what we are seeing here, it's besides what, what's being done you know, at Holy Family Church, which, which is so disgraceful, is that an awful lot of injustices that have just been brushed under the carpet for years as one of those things that have been explained away are coming back to bite the country now. Now that Israel is facing three of its own being shot dead by an indiscriminate panicked soldier, it's opening up that question, how many times has this happened and nobody cared? Years ago, there was an Englishman called Tom Herndl. He was, um, he was a photography student and he went out to the West Bank to, well, to take photographs. He, he wanted to do a project. He was warned it was dangerous, but he was very interested. He, he'd been raised Catholic, um, had lapsed, but... The sad thing was that shortly before he was killed, he he went to the Holy Sepulchre and bought a cross because he was so overwhelmed um, by by the biblical sites, which makes me wonder whether he was actually on the beginning of a journey home. And when he was killed, um, there were soldiers taking pot shots at children. He bent forward to pick up a child and was shot in the head. And again, the IDF put out a statement saying he had started shooting. He had been the one doing the shooting and they sadly, unfortunately, tragically had had to shoot him dead for the protection of everybody else. There was actually video footage. There was film footage of what happened. Thirteen witnesses stated he was unarmed. He was trying to help a group of children and he was shot in cold blood. These things kept happening. And in fact, in that case, the IDF were forced to issue a retraction and the soldier who killed Tom Herndl did go to prison. He was put on trial and he went to prison for murder. But only because his family and the embassy and everything else, there was all sort of diplomatic pressure placed. His family said they would never allow their son's memory to be tarnished like that, to suggest he was a terrorist. It was only because they fought so hard, they were able to get the IDF to admit that the soldier had shot him because he was bored. Just for sport. It came out in the trial. There was simply no reason for him to open fire. Um, so I hope that what's happening now will at least just shine a light on some of the darker corners of, of a troubled country. Um, Dr. Torres, what is this? Oh, Susie Q's. That's what a Susie Q is. Okay, what is this? Is this a cake? 
chocolate cake layers. Is that marshmallow fluff? I bet that's marshmallow fluff. Marshmallow fluff seems to appear with with extraordinary regularity in in American sweets. Am I right? Is that Ameri- is that is that marshmallow fluff? Somebody help me with this. Yes, I still have not had an answer to my original question. Has anyone ever eaten an oatmeal muffin, and is it worth the bother? Is it worth the bother of eating an oatmeal muffin? I'm not even sure you can get oatmeal muffins in this country, but I could bake some if they are particularly tasty. So do let me know. Um, by the way, just before we go to the ad break, it's coming up in just a moment. I just have to say this. I was reading a, a, an article the other day called The Perfect Family is an Idol, about how there's no such thing as a perfect family. It was in a Christian uh, magazine. And I just like to say, you know, over the weekend, we were all feeling lousy because we were all going down with COVID. We sat in front of the television with junk food and ate stollen and Christmas cake weeks too early and watched a really silly Christmas show in our pyjamas. That's my idea of... A really good family evening <coughs> when things are difficult. Just to encourage you, you're doing fine. <coughs> we need to go to an ad break now. You're listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. Um, we will return in just a moment here on the Crusade Channel. Life Talk Radio, the way it should be. and insomniacs and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday for those of you just joining us you are listening to the early show with your hostess from across the pond Fiorella de Maria our call in telephone number is 844-527-8723 that's 844-527-8723 and the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat do talk to me as you enjoy a hearty breakfast of oatmeal muffins and Susie Q's, which I'm about to learn about. It is also that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas to take part in the context and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. If you've missed the first segment, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. We've been talking about what on earth is an oatmeal muffin and is it worth eating? A second ice hockey death. 
um, not long after an American ice hockey player was killed um, in a, well, what was initially described as a freak accident, and the person involved has now faced criminal charges. This does, however, appear to have been a freak accident. And Holy Family Church, the Catholic Church in Gaza, is in a desperate situation. There are hundreds of people, mostly Christians, some also some Muslims, hiding out in the church, having already lost their homes in the airstrikes. Their generators have been knocked out. They no longer they no longer can pump water. They have no electricity. There are disabled people sheltering in the church who can no longer use their respirators. And two women, a mother and daughter, were shot dead in cold blood by IDF soldiers as they crossed a courtyard. <clears throat> this is being denied, uh, but there are multiple witnesses and the Latin patriarch has asked the world to pray for Gaza and is trying is trying to alert the world to what is going on. Um, okay, I have just been told that these um, it's these Susie Q's. No, it's not marshmallow fluff in there. There we go. Um, Maggie's saying this is why the Americans, the majority of Americans are obese. The abundance of fluff and stuff. <laughs> well, okay, you know what I mean. Marshmallow fluff. I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere. I only discovered it a few years ago, and it's too sweet even for me. Um, by the way, um, as you can probably hear, um, I have COVID and my cough has suddenly got really bad. So if we have to go to a music break at any point, I apologise in advance. I will endeavour to keep soldiering on. Philip is saying it'll be interesting if the Israelis in charge of this end up in front of the same court as their oppressors faced. Well, <clears throat> the terrible thing is, Philip, that when I was out there, the Holocaust was used as a justification constantly. We're in trauma. Um, you know, we must make sure this can never happen again and all of the rest. And, you know, and I, I do appreciate what collective trauma can do to a country. And I do not at all deny the seriousness of the trauma faced by the survivors of the Holocaust. I did, however, find it ironic to hear stories like, for example, a nun, a Palestinian nun I worked with whose 14-year-old nephew, um, also a Catholic, was standing near a wall where graffiti, offensive graffiti, had been written. He hadn't written it himself, but it was there. And a couple of soldiers, who probably weren't a lot older than him, probably only four or five years older than him, demanded that he wash it off with his bare hands, if necessary, he said, I won't do it. I had nothing to do with this. He knew they were trying to humiliate him. So they shot him. <clears throat> I found it very difficult to understand how that could happen. How nobody could see a, an irony there. That's all. I'm, I'm just going to put that story out there. It just, it horrified me so much. He survived, but was severely brain damaged. There were a lot of stories like that. Dr. Um, is okay. It's not marshmallow fluff in a Susie Q. It's icing. I don't care much for marshmallows unless they come on candied yams. Eh? Candy, candied yams? Is that possible? Is that a thing? Um, but Dr. Torres is assuring us I'm merely big boned. I heard someone say that once and the reply came back, you're big bellied. I don't believe I've ever tried an oatmeal muffin. Has anyone tried an oatmeal muffin? Help me out. Um, ah, okay. 
Dr. Torres is saying, while I may never have enjoyed an oatmeal muffin, I have had Caribbean black cake, also called rum cake. That's not a non sequitur. I'm recalling yesterday's conversation about alcohol-soaked cakes you Brits eat at Christmas time. Oh, no, I can imagine a rum cake would be absolutely delicious. That sounds absolutely perfect. I can, I can, almost, I can almost taste it. No, I, I would eat it. I'm quite fond of rum. Having a grandfather who was a seafarer, no doubt. Um, in moderation, you understand, of course. Maggie, what is that? Ah, grits with pork and gravy from last night's dinner. Okay. A.K.A. debris grits. That's what it's called. All right. Now she's saying, Kieran loves your mug, Maggie. Oh, no, it's a lovely mug with photos on it. There we go. Dr. Torres is saying, I've never had that. Maggie O'Connell looks like I'd quite enjoy it. There we are. When in doubt, get into food. Let's talk about food. By the way, what is hard candy? Is that what we would call boiled sweets? Are those boiled sweets are small, hard sugar? You know, mostly they're, they're pretty much boiled sugar. That's how they're made. And you, you suck them because they're hard. And then there's that wonderful, satisfying moment when you've been sucking them for about 10 minutes and suddenly you're able to crunch your teeth through. Yes. Patriot 21, making me hungry, Maggie O'Connell. One of the many weird things uh, that's happened to me over the last few days with this is I've completely lost my appetite. That's why I was talking about kefir this morning. I could just about man manage to drink something. This is very unlike me. I like my food. Maggie saying, I use my beautiful mug every single morning. Um, Dr. Torres saying, I've heard of debris stuff from you crazy Louisiana. OK, so this whole thing of debris food, that's a Louisiana thing, is it? OK, OK. Um, I, I think I'm getting a general picture of what it might might be like. OK, well, we have a bit of <clears throat> a bit of better news. Actually, a, an Australian woman has been released from prison in time for Christmas after her conviction for the murder of her, her children was finally quashed. This is one of those cases. Um, I'm sure there have been similar things in the States, but there was something very, there were a number of cases very like it in Britain of women whose children died from cot death being wrongfully convicted of their murder. There were two very high profile cases here in Britain. There was Sally Clark and um, Tripti Patel. And they both went to prison for the murder of multiple children because there was a, a so-called expert. This is one of the difficulties with expert witnesses, Roy Meadow, who established something called Meadow's Law. One cot death in a family was a tragedy. Two was beginning to look suspicious. And three was murder. Based on the fact that it is really cot death is very unusual. It's very, very unusual. My health visitor said, because I was paranoid about it as a new mum, that she'd only ever come across one case in 20 years, having you know, looked after hundreds and hundreds of babies. So obviously, when there are multiple in the same family, it does rouse suspicion. However, it was later conceded that since we don't know what causes cot death, there is a very high chance that there may be a rare genetic reason why babies suddenly and for no obvious reason, stop breathing. So both Sally Clark and Tripti Patel had their convictions quashed. Sadly, Sally Clark 
never got over what happened. She never got over the death of her children. She never got over being vilified like that in court and going to prison for years. And she died very young. Um, she <clears throat> struggled with alcoholism. I think she was only 49 when she died. So Roy Meadow destroyed her life. This woman, um, Kathleen Fogbig, <clears throat> so Kathleen Fulbig was jailed for a similar reason. She was um, she was convicted of the death of four children. She's from New South Wales. She was described as Australia's worst mother. And she was pardoned having spent 20 years in prison. 20 years in prison. Denise M, yes, I think you would call it crib death. We call it cot death. But where it's it's an unexplained death where a baby just stops breathing. Um, and in fact, what my health visitor told me, because we were we had this drummed into us from when we were, you know, when we were pregnant and the, the, the horrors of cot death, we were terrified. I kept checking mine was breathing every five minutes. I, I got really quite paranoid. And as a result of this, to calm me down, my health visitor said to me, look, cot death is very, very unusual. You know, we have to warn you about it because there are things that, that can be factors. For example, they found that all the cases of cot death they had come across, the baby was sleeping on their front. Um, it's it's incre the risks are increased if the if one or other parent are smokers, because you're actually even if you don't smoke in front of a baby, you're breathing uh, smoke on your breath onto the baby, um, being overheated. And in fact, this health visitor said that the one baby, the one cot death she had to deal with involved a baby whose parents were both smokers who had been left in her pram. She'd fallen asleep while they were out. So when they came in, they didn't take her out of her coat or anything. So she was in her pram in a full winter coat with a blanket and near a radiator. And it was the heat, they think, in fact, that set, her, that, that set off that reaction. Um, but... It does mean for some women, I mean, some women have spent years in prison over this. Um, okay, I'm just looking to see what hard candy is. Right, Dr. Torres, thank you. Okay, no, that's not quite what we call boiled sweets. They look a little bit different. They look almost like little bits of rock. Do you have sticks of rock in the States? It's what we always buy at the seaside. That looks to me like small um, small bits of, of rock, yeah. It's what you find at grandma's at Christmas. Denny Sam saying, I love those candies. Dr. Torres says, no one does candy or nut dishes anymore. They were everywhere in the 70s and 80s when I grew up. Funnily enough, I remember um, bowls of nuts with a nutcracker as a child and desperately trying, heaving and straining, trying desperately to crack open a walnut. The only, you're going to laugh at me now for saying it this way, the only nut I could ever crack open was a pecan, 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 whatever. Yeah, because the, the, the shell was a bit softer. Walnuts were really difficult. Brazil nuts were impossible. But it was a big feature. I do remember that. Um, whereas no one in my generation seems to do it. But just the other day, my son, we were watching a film. And there's a scene where there's a, a bowl of nuts and someone's cracking nuts. And he said, can we do that, please? I thought, why not, indeed? I'll have to buy a nutcracker. Um, and I'll have to buy some nuts. But 
that's okay. I can get hold of nuts. I can get hold of nutcracker. Let's resurrect this tradition. There we go. But I don't know about the, the hard candies bowl. Um, Ashley say, fills me with joy. I remember those candies. Um, there we are. That's exactly what I'm thinking of, Dr. Torres. That, that, that silver bowl filled with nuts and you could just help yourself. Denise Sam said, yes, I used to play with the nutcracker. Dr. Torres, and you never got yelled at by Grandma. Put that nutcracker down and go outside and play. <laughs> um, Maggie's saying hard candy or boiled sweet. Oh, no, it is a boiled sweet. Okay, yes, it's just different shapes to what I'm, I'm used to seeing. It's a sugar candy prepared from one or more sugar-based syrups that's heated to a temperature of 160 degrees centigrade to make candy among the many hard candy varieties are stick candy, such as the candy cane, lollipops, Rock, aniseed twists, and bitties to come gay. Okay. Um, Dr. Torres saying the filbert nuts are hard too, right. I tell you what, the probably the most popular boiled sweets in Britain, certainly when I was a child, were mint humbugs. They were black and white stripes and very, very minty. And they were really hard, but when you finally were able to bite through, they had a slightly soft, chewy centre. Mint humbugs. You always had mint imperials. Oh, um, cola cubes. <clears throat> Pear drops. Acid drops, which were a lot more innocent than they sound. Aniseed balls. I don't know if those counted as boiled sweets, really, but aniseed balls were quite a big thing. And there'd be a tiny little aniseed right in the middle. Um, gobstoppers were just so monstrous that most of us just didn't have mouths big enough to cope with a gobstopper. A gobstopper, to, I don't know if you get these ridiculous sweets in the States, but they are huge boiled sweets, a big round ball of a sweet. And when you put it in your mouth, it will literally fill your entire mouth. And usually it has lots of different layers. So as you suck, it changes colour. Um, but I always had a tiny mouth. I, I couldn't actually get a gobstopper into my mouth. Um, so uh, they didn't really work for me. And also, I don't know about you, but I don't like having my mouth full of something. It just makes me want to gag. So never a big thing. But they were always very popular because they lasted for ages. You could be sucking on a gobstopper for hours. My children actually had a gobstopper sucking race once where they all they, they had they had a race to see who could get to the end of their gobstopper first i tell you what it kept them quiet for ages it was wonderful um maggie saying as hard candies have over 80 98 solid sugar actually boiled sweets over here caused quite a dental crisis for sort of the equivalent of my parents generation the baby boomer generation because after the war of course there was um so many shortages um, and, you know, it carried on being a problem right into the 50s that children were actually encouraged to suck boiled sweets because it gave them quick energy because of the sugar. And they were much more worried about children you know, start suffering from fatigue and weakness and things like that. So they were encouraged to suck boiled sweets. So they all ended up with really bad teeth. And that's why that generation, of, you know, have a dread of the dentist because they're, they're always, they always had fillings and crowns and bridges and all the rest. But it started with boiled sweets. Jacqueline, our bowl of Christmas nuts. St. Nicholas always brings nuts on December the 6th. I'm just seeing how many I can identify. I see a Brazil nut. I see a chestnut, I think. No, a hazelnut. Walnuts. Am I close? Is there a peanut in there? There we go. Oh, Philip, that looks like Turkish delight. 
No, that's hard rock candy, old-fashioned one pound. I have never seen anything like that. I thought to start with it was Turkish Delight, but it's obviously not soft. It's because of the dusting of icing sugar. There we go. Um, Denise M said, my only grandma lived a, a distance away and died when I was still young. I'm a child of the 50s. My dad was nearly 40 when I was born. World War II made lots of late-in-life families. Yes, I suppose it did. I, had, I hadn't thought of that, but of course that's that's absolutely correct because um, my grandparents, they were slightly different ages and um, my maternal grandmother was very, very young. She was only 16 when she was taken out of school to get married. So she was, you know, I, she only died two years ago. But my paternal grandparents were... Uh, well, they were in their 30s when the war started and they married late because <clears throat> maybe they didn't find each other. I think it was partly because my grandmother was nursing her father through his final illness and just she couldn't think about leaving him and getting married and whatever. So they married late anyway. But then, of course, the war came. So she'd had she had two children in the late 30s, one of whom tragically died. And my auntie Josephine, who grew up during the war, she was um, eight years old when the war ended and then all the rest of the children were born in um, the mid to late 40s and of course yes she was considered quite a senior mother because she was in her late 30s when she was still having children but yes the war got in the way Cuzzy 67 good morning all we used to have a special bowl for the nuts and nutcracker are filberts the same as Hazelnuts. I have no idea what a filbert is. Someone's going to have to fill me in on this one. Dr. Torreson, um, I, I enjoy watching the true crime. I thought, do you know, I, for a minute I read that as true Christmas crime. I thought, good grief, that's a bit, that's a bit sad. Okay, no, no, true crime. Yes, got you, got you, Dr. Torreson, we're on the same page. It came across a famous or rather infamous Brit serial killer, Peter Tobin. The show is called Evil Lives. Here's... Here, and it's the story of Peter from his abused wife's perspective. Poor woman and poor victims of Peter Tobin. Um, how on earth do I not know about this man? Um, <clears throat> we don't have many serial killers, but they're very imaginative, the ones we did have. Scotty Bobby is saying, is cot death the same as um, SIDS, S-I-D-S? Yes, it is. That's, that, in fact, is now, that's the proper, it's sudden infant death syndrome. Is I think the proper term. It's colloquially known as cot, as cot death. Yes, absolutely. It's one minute past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella Di Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And it's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. To take part in the contest and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. We have been talking about an ice hockey death, a second ice hockey death, an 11-year-old boy in Canada, the terrible, miserable plight of Gaza's Christians um, sheltering in Holy Family Church in Gaza, and the murder of two Christian women as they crossed the courtyard. Um, and an Australian woman who has been freed after 20 years imprisonment after her convictions for the murder of four children were quashed. Um, and we've been talking, well, we've also been talking about food, nuts and 
hard candy or boiled sweets, as we call it, and things like that. Uh, so um, so j- just to lighten the mood slightly, I hope somebody looks after this woman. Wonderful that she has been released from prison, but she is going to need a lot of help settling back into society after 20 years imprisonment for something she didn't do. Um, it's so it's so horrendous to think about how on earth she kept her sanity all those years, knowing that she did not deserve to be in prison. And I'm sort of surprised that her case didn't come up because repeated, repeated, repeated appeals were just all turned down. I'm surprised that when the Sally Clark and Tripti Patel cases in Britain came up and they were acquitted... Um, their convictions rather were overturned, that this did not filter over to what was happening in Australia because they are very similar cases. She could potentially have been freed from prison, what, 10 years ago, longer than that. I think, gosh, I think it was nearly, it was at least 15 years ago that the the Sally Clark cases happened. I'm learning about Peter Tobin, a Scotsman who, um, hang on a second, oh, crumbs, a serial killer. Oh, dear, what is it about serial killers? Yes, um... Dr. Torres is saying Peter Tobin was actually Scottish, not Brit, still a UK citizen. No, no, he's, he's still a Brit, um, but a Scots Brit as opposed to an English Brit, I suppose. He said the whole life order for three murders. Um, gosh, I have absolutely no idea who this man is. I will have to find out. Of course, I, I do kind of keep abreast of, of crime because bigger crime writer, it's not that I. I won't say I just I need ideas because I don't do serial killers in my books because they're usually quite motiveless. I always feel it's cheating having a fictional character who's a serial killer, but it gives me some ideas. Sorry, little pause for a moment, please. Oh, I'm sinking fast. Please, could somebody just... If you could spare a few prayers, I really, really need to be well enough tomorrow to support my daughter while she's having her teeth out. I do not want her to have to deal with this on her own. But if I'm coughing and sneezing like this, they won't let me into the dentist. Um, so please, please pray that I turn a corner today. That would be just wonderful. Maggie saying, we'll absolutely say a few prayers for you. Thank you. It's uh, it's really, it's really important to me. Um, I suppose with with what's happened with this Australian woman is that it is quite frightening to consider you know, the judicial system of any country is not infallible. Mistakes get made. People do go to prison. Plenty of people walk free who are guilty. But plenty of people also go to prison who didn't do it. And it is very frightening to consider, right, this woman, um, Kathleen Fulbig, her case has been described as one of Australia's greatest miscarriages of justice. How do you compensate somebody for 20 years of her life? She was 36 when she went to prison. She's now 56. She, she's missed what should have been some of the most important years of her life. Beyond that, she has never been given a chance to mourn the loss of her children. Um, apparently, according to the report, a lot of the difficulty is because there is no obvious reason for, for cot death or crib death or SIDS, um, is that 
a lot of the evidence is actually circumstantial evidence that's used. So her diaries were used. Um, letters, you know, things were things were used to try to paint her as unstable when there's never any suggestion she had any intention of harming her children. Denise, um, I'm thinking you shouldn't even go out if you have COVID. Well, what I'm going to have to do is do a test tomorrow morning um, and see if it's cleared up. I mean, I've been ill for a few days now, so I'm hoping this is just the last the last gasp and I'm just what I'm feeling is where everything's sort of coming out I'm hoping I'm not in fact contagious uh, but I'll have to do a test tomorrow morning and I'll probably wear a mask when I'm in the dentist's just um to show goodwill if I'm if I'm still snuffling just so I don't spook anybody um, but we'll see I'm, I might if I'm not up to it I'm not up to it you know it's just one of those things but I'd really really love it if I could um just you know it's it's a traumatic thing to have to go through um, yes, Miss Fulbig's legal team are going to seek compensation. Did not say how much. Um, <clears throat> there have been accusations that Australia's legal system is lagging behind. It's not responding to advanced science. This is my point about how, how did this not get affected by the Sally Clark case? Um, and she made the point, even in 1999, we had legal answers to prove my innocence. Prosecutors took my words out of context and turned them against me. I hope no one else will ever suffer what I suffered. Um, and it's just you're seeing photographs of what she looked like 20 years ago and what she looks now. This is a terrible thing to happen to a woman. A terrible thing to happen to anybody. Um, but yes, I hope she's looked after. I hope she has helped to rebuild her life however, however possible. Um, but it's interesting to to see a lot of the responses to this, um, you know, the different factors that led to her being convicted like that. So, okay, it's been a bit of a difficult news day. Um, a nice hockey death, um, terrible situation in Gaza. Um, you know, something I'm I'm really reminded thinking about the the Christians who are huddling together in that church, you know, they're sleeping on mattresses all over all the different rooms of the complex, you know, eating bits of boiled spaghetti, whatever they can get hold of. You know, I do get that sense of you know, being part of the body of Christ, you know, that when you realise your own people are suffering, as my fellow Catholics, those are my people, you know, I'd, it just, it hits you in a very particular way. That's all I'll say there. Um, Dr. Torres says, um, Kathleen Forbig, she should be compensated by the state for overzealous prosecution. I'm always suspicious of cases built on only circumstantial evidence. Um, Jeffy Mann, definitely a cautionary tale. So easy to overgeneralize and assume guilt based on opinion and assumptions. Exactly. And of course, the whole judicial system, it's supposed to avoid that happening. You know, the evidence is supposed to be very rigorously tested. Yet it obviously doesn't work because things like that are used um, to paint a very bad picture. I mean, I was quite frightened by a friend's analysis of the Lucy Letby case, which I've discussed on this show, um, because she said that in her opinion, um, even though I think they're it looked to me as if the case against her was pretty strong. She said, in the end, when it comes to any infant death, a lot of the evidence is going to be circumstantial. When you have very, very seriously sick children, 
they can develop complications. They they can go from apparently improving to very, very serious, you know, very seriously compromised very quickly. And a lot of things were certainly said about that nurse, about her character, about her lifestyle and things like that, which fed into that narrative. And it did give me pause. It did give me pause. I mean, I think there were there was substantial evidence, for example, the fact that she was always the one on duty when a baby died, for example. But things she'd written, things she'd said, you know, it's, yeah, it's complicated. I'm just glad I'm not a lawyer, really. Certainly glad I'm not a judge. Oh, Cuzzy67, emergency prayers, please. Um, Cuzzy67 saying, I need to ask for prayers for a young couple who'd planned to terminate their pregnancies because they found their pregnancy because they found that the baby is not developing normally. They feel they would do, be doing the right thing. We are praying that they change their minds. Absolutely, we'll pray. Can we please, please storm heaven for this couple and their baby? Cousy67, do you um um do do you know them well enough to really, really talk talk them through the issues? Because I always feel when when a couple are thinking about abortion because of disability, a lot of the time they do convince themselves that they're doing the right thing, that it's, you know, um it's in the baby's best interest, that no baby would be, want to be born like this, that they won't be able to cope. And I always I, I always try to say, I think because I've got a child with a disability, which fortunately could not be screened out in the womb, I didn't have to go through all the horror of pressure, is that you you never know quite how it's going to be when you have a baby. You don't give birth to a disabled baby. You give birth to your baby that happens to have a disability. Um, it's so hard to appreciate the bond that you feel with a baby. And it actually... You feel closer to the broken ones. Before my eldest son was diagnosed with autism, they thought he had a form of epilepsy. And they thought that was what was causing some of his developmental problems. And I remember taking him to the hospital. And we arrived very early because the buses were always very unreliable. So I always had to leave a lot of time. We got there very early. So I said, well, why don't we go to the cafe and get, get some cake? And <clears throat> he sat there wolfing down this huge slab of chocolate cake and he was what seven years old I think and I just sat there and looked at him and I just thought it's okay son if you are really as ill as they say you are it's okay we'll, we'll work this out somehow or other we're going to work this out it's all right you and me we, we can you know we can make sure you, you get the right treatment and if anything, I think I loved him even more. If it were possible, I think I felt even more tender feelings towards my son, just being aware of his vulnerability. It's very hard to describe, but I think it's just, it's so frightening for a couple when they, they're just given, they're just given a, a diagnosis or, or a prognosis. And it can seem very detached from the relationship itself, you know? Um, Dr. Torres is saying in the chat room, um, but anyway, Cousy67, definitely we, we must all pray, okay? This little, little life hangs in the balance. Dr. Torres is saying, detectives need to do better. Whoever decides a case is prosecutable. 
DAs here primarily need to weigh many factors. It's incumbent on law enforcement to do their due diligence. Yes, we have the CPS here, the Crown Prosecution Service, and they are the ones who are supposed to decide whether or not to prosecute a case. And there has to be a 51% case, 51% chance of conviction. It's not sort of um, heroic law for the sake of it. There has to be a reasonable chance of conviction. And there are all sorts of other factors they have to consider, including things like public interest. And there are cases where um, a person has certainly broken the law, but it's just not deemed to be in the public interest for there to be a trial for whatever reason. Um, Mike, are you there? Um, there was one case that uh, it gets cited in some ethics. Ah! Mike? Mike is going to sing. Mike is going to sing for us. Um, there was one case that gets cited where um, a man was reversing his car out of his driveway and he knocked down and killed his two-year-old son. Now, it was causing death by reckless driving. He did not check his blind spot when he pulled away. But it was felt that the man was so distraught and so destroyed by what had happened that it just was not in the public interest to put the man through a public trial. I are here um, now. You are here. Okay. Talking about miscarriages of justice. Oh, my goodness. Um, Happens all the dark time. Dark subjects. Yeah. Um, okay. But, yes, um, Kazi67 is putting, uh, putting a bit more... Um, uh, put a bit more detail about this couple, so lots of prayers needed. Well, there are people who are sentenced yeah. in the U.S. all the time for things they mm. didn't do. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Torres asking, does the U.K. have jury trials? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think we invented them, didn't we? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, a jury's not going to help you in many cases. It doesn't matter. Well, the jury can be quite fickle, in fact. Oh, cause my, my husband did jury service years ago, and he said it's it... it Put him off, rather. Um, he felt the juries are quite are quite um, easy to manipulate. Absolutely, which is why it's hard to get a uh, a, a good jury, and why uh, okay here in the United States, uh, a, a, you would call them a barrister, an attorney, yeah. is allowed to go through what are called pe uh, peremptory challenges. Yeah. And in the peremptory challenges, you're allowed to go like, yeah, I read her Facebook. She thinks that everyone that is accused of the crime of shoplifting is guilty. And because this is a shoplifting case, she can't be on the jury. Yeah. That's how they um, do it. They they can't, they don't select in quite that way over here. But what they do is when they call people, you called at random, you just get a letter through the door. Yes, same thing. And, um, yeah. And what they do is when they, they get, so they usually be, say, 15, they only need 12 because there will be some who can't stand and they will start by asking, um, is there any reason why you cannot stand as a member of the jury? And sometimes a person will put up their hand and say, I know this person, for example, or, you know, this this happened on my street or so, you know, there's some kind of personal connection. There's a, there's a conflict of interest. Occasionally, it's for slightly odd reasons, like um, a book I've just reviewed, um, you know, Unlawful Killings. Uh, someone put their hand up and said, look, I've got a real problem with blood. <laughs> it's, it was a murder case, and the judge sort of said, "I'm going to grow a pair." Blah, blah, blah. Um, and he got onto the jury, and within five minutes of the, the, the trial starting, he'd fainted. Um, you know, it, it may it may be sometimes that the the jury is simply not capable of dealing with the subject matter. I mean, that's quite unusual. But yes, th there's always a little bit of um, bit of selection. But in that that film, Runaway Jury, is it called with Dustin Hoffman? Ah, uh, gosh, I saw that a long time mm. ago. 
Well, you, you see the you see the attorneys selecting the jury. It's not quite as dramatic as that over here. Um, well, so uh, you, uh, to fill a twelve-person jury out, they probably call like a hundred people. Wow. Yeah, because so many of them are going to have excuses, and the judge is going to go, "Okay, you can go, you can go, you can go, you can go." And then the lawyers are going to go, "Like, no, no, that person is," especially if it's a high-profile case. Yeah, I'd imagine that'd be really difficult. <clears throat> we also have the, the difficulty here. You must have something similar in the states that some trials go on for months. Oh yeah, you know, show so trials here go on for yes for a very long time. Yeah, but you know, so, so it's very complex. I mean, like the Lucy Letby case. I mean, it was what nine murder, nine murder charges or something. So it's 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 like nine separate trials almost in once. So of course, it went by the time they got through all the evidence, it was months. Um, and of course, if you're self-employed, that's, that's a right. problem yes. because you don't you know you get your expenses, but you don't get paid to sit on the jury. So. If you run a small business, you really don't want to get that letter through the door. You know, it might be a five-day trial for you know theft or something. It might be, you know, mass murder. And then the other thing about jury trials, um, <clears throat> so the burden is supposed to be on the state to prove the case. You're innocent until you're mm. proving guilty. Yeah. So the state supposedly has to prove its case. Um, uh, but the U.S. justice system has become so lopsided and so rigged that in many instances uh, you won't even go to a trial because the defense, ju I mean, the, the state just wants a conviction. <clears throat> so they will tell you that, uh, you know, unless you have the, the means to provide your own defense and to defend yourself um, against a state that has unlimited resources, they'll tell you you're going to lose. We're going to yeah. outspend you 30 to 1. And you're going to lose. So the best thing you can do is take this uh, this plea deal. And then sometimes they lie about it. Candace, what was the name of that uh, that show that we watched, that documentary about that kid who supposedly molested that little boy? Uh, Greg, o was his name Greg O'Kelly? Um, so this young man who had a promise, uh, a great, a promising career ahead of him, he was going. To, uh, he had received. A, he was going to receive a scholarship. He was going to go to the University of Texas. Uh, he was from Texas as a as a football player. Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly. I had it right. Greg Kelly. And um, when he was 17 years old or, or 18, he was asked by a friend of the family to stop by the, uh, I, I can't remember whose house, to keep an eye on a, uh, a, a couple of kids while the mom or the aunt or whatever went out and ran a quick errand. And so he did it. Months later, supposedly uh, one of the little boys Starts telling the story about to to the parent about how Mr. Greg had done certain things with a body part to the boy, mm -hmm. and then of course the, the the Department of Child Protective Services gets involved, and then uh, in all too many instances, fear well, the way it happens here is that the district attorney's office or the prosecutors will decide that they uh, they just want a conviction. Yeah. And then they will start framing the case around the person that they want to convict. And they were convinced that this all-star American kid was a pervert. 
and that uh, and they were going to convict him. And and they ultimately they went to him in court and they told him, look, just take the plea deal, and you won't be pleading guilty to a sex crime. You know, you'll go spend eighteen months in jail and you'll get out or whatever. If you don't, we're going to take it all the way to trial. We have uh, star witnesses who are going to testify, and you're going to go to jail for twenty five to thirty years. So the kid was he was eighteen years old. And didn't know what to do. His parents gave him terrible advice. So he took the deal. Uh. Okay, so they threw him in and they lied to him about what they were going to sentence him for. So they sent him to jail, and then shortly after he went to jail, his parents uh, never stopped trying to defend Greg. And so they, uh, an attorney called them who had been working on wrongful conviction cases, and he had watched the trial. And he told, he actually, he called the parents and he goes, I want to talk to you about your son. Your son was wrongly convicted. He didn't do what they accused him of. In any event, this ordeal goes on. They finally get a new trial or they get a mistrial and they get that conviction thrown out, basically. And so then he gets and then they have they're going to have another trial, uh, but it's all based on the on the previously flawed evidence. So he um, uh, they uh, they abandon the the second trial or they haven't. He's acquitted or it's or it ends on a mistrial. But the first initial conviction stands. And he can't go to the University of Texas. He can't vote. He can't do all sorts of things. And so he has to appeal to the Texas Supreme Court, which is notoriously stingy in overturning uh, wrongfully decided cases. And after like two years, they finally overturned his original uh, case, restored him completely to, uh, as a dignified uh, citizen of the state of Texas. And then he was able to pursue his life. But it took six years. Yeah. That woman you were talking about, you can't buy back 20 years. No. Um, And even if the initial trial, if if the person is acquitted, the person may still have spent time in custody. They still had to go through the horror of a public trial. That's right. Um, And it it has a huge impact on a person's life. And mud sticks. There will always be people who still think they did it. That's right. no, it's it's terrific. I would not like to get entangled like that with the law. Um, no, and 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 as I said, in many cases, especially if you're if it's in front of a federal jury or if it's for you know, here in the United States, if it's for federal charges, most people are going to be told by the uh, by by the trial court, look. We're going to outspend you. you. You just might as well go ahead and take the plea deal. He, you have, the, you have a, a, an unbelievable situation here in the States. 93% of all cases that the federal government, or you would call it the royal government, brings against its own citizens, 93% in, uh, result in convictions. And a vast oh. majority of those are plea deals. Right. So the person we, just yeah. says, okay, I give. I can't fight you, state. I don't have enough money. We don't do plea deals in quite the same way over here. I mean, obviously, if a person's prepared to cooperate with the police, it will be taken into account. But it's a slightly different system. But it's it's still the case, and I'm sure this is the case pretty much everywhere in the world, whoever has the cleverest, can afford the cleverest lawyers, certainly has the advantage. Um, there's, there's no getting around that. Yes, you know, yes. M- money talks. Now, I wasn't familiar with this uh, this this woman who who uh, was released after twenty years, 
But anyone that was following what the Australian government was doing to uh, people during COVID, I, I, I mean, and many of them uh, weren't like belligerents. They were like, look, I have a serious issue here. I need to go beyond the two kilometers. I haven't been to my business in, in a month and a half. Um, uh, and, and, and of course they were treated like animals and they were beaten and told to get, get back in line. So it doesn't surprise me about what happened in, um, in, in Australia, but, um, it, it seems to me that the, the, that the jury system, at least in its modern iteration, as far as justice goes, <laughs> leaves a little bit to be desired. And maybe it's also, maybe we're hoisted by our own petards and that we have so many laws. Who can possibly keep track of all the laws? Well, I talk about this actually when I was reviewing on unlawful killings, that certainly in Britain, since the, the years of the Blair government, the number of laws, I mean, endless, pointless laws that have been passed. I mean, the, the lawyers can't keep up with it. You know, it's it's created a massive problem. Okay, so, uh, so uh, Maggie's saying that the the uh, the movie about the story that I just told you about that young man is called Outcry, mm-hmm. right? And it was a series on Peacock that oh, you could. Showtime. Oh, it was on Showtime mm-hmm. that okay. you could watch. Um, ultimately, his uh, uh, Greg's girlfriend refuses to. She doesn't believe it. She refuses to leave him. While he's in the halfway house, they ultimately get married, and of course, the whole thing. It doesn't have a, ha- a kind of a happy ending to it. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful that she believed in him. That really is beautiful. Oh, and his and his brothers. He had three brothers, and his yeah. mom and his dad. They were none of them. They were like, nah, no way. Greg did not do this. He did not do this. Yeah. So um, it oh. is. It is definitely an issue. What is the name of this book? I'm interested in this book. What's it called? Um, Unlawful killings. You probably just reviewed them for your for uh, yeah, relevance. So I, I don't know. If, I don't know if the program's been broadcast yet, but it's by Wendy Joseph. She's a, a, Q, a K- Casey King's Counsel. She's a, a judge, um, and but she's a judge at the Old Bailey, which is what does all. They do all the um, the high profile murder cases. Now you were talking earlier about the um, about the shooting at the uh, at the church in Gaza. Yeah. Uh, Brother Andre and Marie republished a letter, which I think you were reading from, from the Latin patriarch yeah. of Jerusalem. That's because right. there were people that were going like, that's not the way it happened. They didn't do that. Da, 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 da. And the Latin patriarch came out and did a follow-up letter and goes, this is what happened. You can choose to accept yeah. it or not, but this is what happened. Yeah. Um, it, it's, 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 it's a tragedy. But and here's something that you might find interesting. My friend, the Englishman Frank Wright, was on, my, was on the show yesterday. And uh, Frank and I had a rollicking conversation about a variety of topics. But we ended on the note. Did you know or did you see the story that British Petroleum has ended its seagoing operations in the Persian Gulf? I didn't know that, no. What well, happened yesterday? Okay. So the uh-huh. the Navy, uh, the Yemeni Navy, or whatever their excuse mm-hmm. for a Navy is, has blockaded the entrance to the Red Sea. I see. And the American okay. Navy is in such a state of horror and disrepair, and apparently the English Navy, uh, uh, or the Royal Navy is too, that BP was like, if we, if, if, if BP basically asked the Royal Navy, can you protect our tankers? And they told him no. And that's when BP went like, well, then we're not sending our tankers out on the high seas. 
Yeah, it's incredibly dangerous. Uh, well, uh, the, the point is, is uh, there, once, upon, uh, once upon a time, there was a time when uh, the sun never set. And it was because, largely in part because the HMS, Her Majesty's Service, uh, the Royal Navy was the envy of the world. And then mm-hmm. the United States Navy, of course, uh, built itself up and was the envy of the world. Now, apparently, <laughs> Houthi rebels in Yemen, <laughs> the Navy, that's worthy. But look, I wanted to share this with you because I thought about you when I was reading this. Wall Street Journal article today, alarm grows over weakened militaries in, and empty arsenals in Europe. Listen to this. The British military, the leading U.S. military, just on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, Mm-hmm. The leading U.S. military ally and Europe's biggest defense spender has only around 150 deployable tanks and perhaps a dozen serviceable long-range artillery pieces. So bare was the cupboard that last year the British military considered sourcing multiple rocket launchers from museums to upgrade and donate to Ukraine. <laughs> To upgrade and donate to Ukraine, an idea that the Royal (laughs) the Royal Navy. uh, I I suddenly imagined you big muskets and cannon and things. (laughs) So sorry, that's probably not what they had in mind. But um, this now now you as a historian, um, uh, are you a reader of Belloc? I know you read Chesterton. Um, not so much, actually. Just never quite worked for me. Okay. Well, Belloc is well just because Belloc is Belloc. Yeah. <laughs> He's not for everyone. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. But Belloc did write one of the. There's several great books that I think everyone should read, including you. And that uh-huh. the, uh, I think everyone should read Belloc's book on heresies, on the great heresies, because uh, right. he covers them all from a historian's point of view. Um, and Belloc said in the great and the great heresy when he got to the last two. Okay, guess what? The last he, he said these are the worst. I saved the worst two for last. You, you want to take a guess at what they are? Uh, pacifism? No, no, no. Okay, the I, le- thought, I thought I was, I was just trying to make a connection with what you just said. Um, uh, don't know. Protestantism okay. and Islam. Okay. I had a conversation with someone the other day. I can't remember who my guest was. We were talking about this. If you read the papal bull from Innocent the Second or Urban the Second, where he signed off on the First Crusade, mm-hmm. it is to put down the heresy of Islam. Yeah. So while there was a military victory, okay, and the Holy Land was reclaimed, the part, the real purpose of the crusade, which was to put down as the church does, and to bring an end to the heresy of Islam, was a was a complete and total disaster. It was a failure. Yeah. And thus we are stuck with it today. So I bring all that up, Fiorella, because in Belloc's book on the great heresies, the last chapter is on Islam. And he's writing in 1928. She goes, most of the world thinks that the Ottoman Empire and uh, the caliphate and the the great Muslim state that so terrorized Christendom for 800 years that it is gone and forever vanquished. And Belloc (laughs) Belloc says, that's just the most naive, uh, terrible point of view anyone can have. That uh, Islam will lay in wait and uh, will rebuild and will once again return to what uh, to, to doing what she once did. There was a report that came out the other day. That, you know how many men are now enlisted in the in the Turkish army? No idea. Two million. Well, should the Turks under the uh, that, that's the Ottoman Empire. So the, what remains of it? So the Turks are basically sitting there quietly rebuilding their army 
And then you have the Western powers meddling as we do in what we call the Middle East today. And it's just, <laughs> you have a Christmas prayer? Pray for peace in the Middle East. I always pray for peace in the Middle East. Well, you're a, you, you're in a you have you you are Arab. You're Maltese. You're a Maltese. You're um, born Arab, into Arab, this. Yeah, Arab Arab ancestry. Yes. I, um, I mean, the, the island of Mal Malta was was lusted yeah. after by the sultans. Oh yeah. So you're yeah, you that's, that's of that. all people are intimately familiar with this. Oh yes. Don't worry about that. Um, Sorry, I'm sinking fast. My no, you go ahead and go. Uh, I got it. I have the uh, I have the O antiphon for today. Uh, I have O O Radix Jesse. Go take care of your voice. God bless you. We'll say prayers for you. Um, and who's skating tomorrow? Oh, no, teeth are being no, no. removed. Natalia. Francesca. Francesca's teeth are being removed. We will pray yeah. for a peaceful teeth for a tooth remover or two tooth, uh, two you. teeth. Good Let's Lord! I'll try to speak teeth. English tomorrow. Two teeth being removed. Go take care of yourself. I got this. Okay, thank you. All right, it's uh, thirty-five minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from wet and chilly England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com and the Crusade Stadium chat room. It's open for your commentary at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I'm now leaving you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel live talk radio the way it should be. <laughs> Iam noli vitardare, magnificat, anima meva domino, ed exultavit spiritus meios, in Deo salutari meno, cui arebes vexit humilitatem avancevile sue, Echenim ex hoc beatam medicentum nes generationes, quia fecit mihi maniac qui potens est. Et sanctum nomen eius, et misericordia eius a progenieve vivin progenies. Timentibus Fiji potentiam in brachio suo, dispersit supermos mente codisumi, deposuit potevente vestesse vede, et exaltavit humiles, isurientes implevi ponis, Edivites dimisit in anem, suscepivit Israel pueverum suo. Recordatus misericordiae sue, sicud locutus est a patres nostros. Abraham et semini eius in secula, Gloria patri et filio et spiritu vi sancto 
Sicuterat in principio et nunc et semper. Et in secula seculorum. Amen. Ora adixiesse, qui stas in signum popolorum, super quem continebunt regesus suum, quem gentes de breve cabuntur, veveni ad liberandum nos, iam nobilitatare,